can't see what's not seen until you let go of what is seen. And that's, I'm talking about your money. of the vaccine so i'm oh, hell yeah vaccinated. feeling pretty good feeling very f- fully vaccinated I actually have a hat here that says vaccinated which you maybe be able to see over the oh over okay the yeah i like that so i'm ready i'm ready to wear that now i can officially wear that and not feel like i'm an imposter <laughs> got any plans you want to go anywhere do anything Listen, you know all of my energy in the world has gone into this episode our very first episode of our new podcast and so i'm really excited and i think once i'm done with this hopefully i don't feel bad after the second dose of the, <laughs> the vaccine. how do you feel now i feel fine feel great you know it was good didn't sore? You know, no not at all and i didn't feel sore for the first one so i i feel fortunate that i've not been had any side effects Okay, here's a very important question there. Are you Pfizer gang or Moderna gang? I am Pfizer gang. No! Ride or die. God. <laughs> now, I, I actually was a little disappointed that it was Pfizer because I have a, a, a deep-seated love for Dolly Parton and she helped finance Moderna. Yeah, so you know I got that Dolly Parton flavor. That's what I wanted, but I, I got <laughs> I got to my, my location, my assigned location, and they were like, this is the only one we got. So. Oh, wait, yeah. so you guys like... How does it work up there in New York? Like, do you go to a website and find a place to go or? So there's a couple of ways to go. There's the state run sites, which they like to city field, which is where the Mets play. They have a like a few college campuses and they have the Javits center, which is this giant convention center in Manhattan. And you can sign up there. And I actually got a reservation there, but then my primary care physician uh, messaged me and said, Hey, we have these available. Do you want to sign up? And so I got a spot. It was even sooner than the one I had with the city. And so I took it and canceled the other one, but okay. it's, there's a few different ways. There's like some of the drugstores have it, some private, like premier care physicians have it. And then the city or the state has a bunch of sites around the state. Well, your boy went to a Walmart. Yeah. And I, yeah. Like, uh, I went in. Okay. Here's the thing. I'm, I go to work at four o'clock, right? Four o'clock right. in the evening. I made my appointment for 3.20 because I, I knew I was going to have to sit for 15 minutes. And I was like, okay, I'll just go get the shot and I go to work, right? Well, that's what I get for thinking like a normal person because I go up there and I see people like sitting in a little, like a makeshift waiting area. And I was like, hey, I have an appointment for 3.20 to get the vaccine. And they're like, oh, uh, the lab tech that does the shots is on her lunch break. If oh you'll sit God. down in a waiting area, she'll be with you shortly. So I sat down and I was talking to this guy. He's like, man, I've been here since three o'clock and they hadn't got to me yet. I was like, oh no, oh no, <laughs> this isn't good. And so I sat there and this lady came back at four o'clock. My th- appointment was at 3.20 and she comes back at four. And then there's people ahead of you. Yeah. So there's people ahead of me and she really didn't know the order. So people were getting pissed off because like they're calling people out of order just like she's like hey you come on so i go back there and i sit in a chair and i'm just like fucking around on my phone and i look at him like are you gonna do it she's like oh you're done i was like huh and she's like yeah you're done and i'm terrified of needles i have a really hard time with needles but i don't know man it was easy thing arm was sore for a little while but it's pretty much it hey man that's the best that's the best result get that microchip but the bad thing is, you gotta wait till May third to get the second dose. That's not that far away. You'll be all right. It's a month. It's a month. 
<laughs> I want to be fully vaccinated now. I want the party, Austin. Absolutely. We'll, we'll get there it's in, in due time, and we won't have to do this over Zoom every single time. That's, that's the goal. Maybe, maybe one day in the future. So are you ready to pop off this episode? Oh, I'm ready to pop, 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 pop in bottles <laughs> all over this new episode of If You Catch My Grift. You've got cancer of the stomach? Are you ready for God to burn that cancer out? Here it goes in the mighty. Devil, back off. Back off, devil! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! So, there are a lot of televangelists out there. And so, picking just one was not... It it, it might have looked like a daunting task at first, but... There's something really special, and by special, I mean awful and horrible <laughs> and in your face and completely outrageous about Peter Popoff. He is just like the charlatan's charlatan, and it's so unapologetic. And so I've kind of been fascinated for about like fascinated by him for a long time. Um, he is just really in your face, really brazen. He was all over TV in the eighties. Um, and he's just the, the, the magnitude of his grift, I think is really worthy of our first episode and our first spot in the lineup. So when I think about televangelist or when I think about any revival style preacher, I think of the whole sha la 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 the Jesus the power, the power of Jesus compels you slap on the forehead pass out on the floor is this what this guy's about that is 100% Peter Popoff and <laughs> I I don't think he he wasn't the only one he's obviously not the only televangelist he's not the only faith healer but he's definitely like the most in your face and wild one of them all like and and, and as we kind of get into it we'll talk about like what he was doing versus what some of these other guys, I would say competitors, but they all kind of work together in a weird way uh, we're doing. And the difference is really, really stark. At least I'm hoping that that comes across. Um, I, I do though want to kind of put out a really quick disclaimer. So we're going to go through a lot of his biography and most of it comes from the, most of the stuff I use came from, Peter Popoff sources. So it came from a book that he wrote in 1980 called Behind Curtains of Darkness, A New Fire is Burning. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there's also a reference to his website a little bit, but it all sounds like bullshit. <laughs> it's all like self-grandizing. It's, it's myth building. It's like making him look like this hero of... Oh, so wait, spoiler alert. This guy's still out there? He is still alive, oh, but I'm not going to spoil it. Oh, okay, okay. He's yes, um, he does have a website. So, but you know, he was he's also yeah. It's, we'll we'll get to that. Listeners, please do not go to peterpuffoff.com. <laughs> I don't even know if that's what it is, it's a, <laughs> but it's a, it's a pretty easy Google search. Poppingbottlesforjesus.com. <laughs> yeah, so I say that when I when I do quote his book. <laughs> Just know that it take it with a grain of salt. I think that okay. there's probably some truth underneath it, but he's a not very consistent over time, and b it's very much making him look like this superhero for Christ, which he's definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess at the beginning, I want to just say 
um, that faith sort was well, sort of some background for for Peter, and I'm going to call him Peter because I he, we're going to talk about a few pop offs at the beginning, and it kind of gets confusing, so I'm going to use their first names. I think as we go and those guys move out of the picture, I'll start maybe calling him pop off. I'll try to stay consistent, but I just want to put that out there. Okay. Um, so faith in the church is really the pop-off family business uh even to this day pop-off was born in 1946 uh and he's the son of a pentecostal minister in east berlin um this was a little less than a year after the end of world war ii and the pop-off family found themselves in soviet occupation so they were east side of the wall the, the berlin wall um this was not a great situation for a minister and his family. So Peter's father, George, began planning their escape and they wanted to get out and get to the U.S. In 1950, they finally were able to seek refuge in the United States. Uh, And you're going to find that escaping communism is a huge part of his grift, a huge part. It can't be understated. So wait, hold on. A right-wing religious type seeked asylum in the United States? What is this? They don't do that. You're right, kidding me. Right. Running away from communism, you know, the, the Satan's politics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't hear my eyes roll, but that they're they're rolling. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and so communism not only became a part of of Peter's kind of shtick, but it also became part of his of his dad's George, who was also a, a preacher. Um I just want to really quick, this is what I want to read from his website, just to give you an idea of how much a part of communism is, is his thing, even like even into the 80s, even like after the Cold War was over. So this quote from uh, Peter's website, before coming to the United States, Peter's father and grandfather were both tortured for their faith. Despite much harassment from the communist government, Peter's father and his family escaped Berlin and came to the United States in 1950. With these memories of persecution, fresh and young Peter mind he received a childhood call from god to enter the ministry man he's really popping off with that propaganda <laughs> I, I gotta say it's it's a little bit different that is a current that's from his current website it's a little different than his autobiography because according to his autobiography his grandfather who he mentioned here was actually a communist sympathizer and okay. did and was not a man of god his father was, and his great grandfather was, but his, it sort of skipped a generation in his grandfather. So for him to say that communists tortured his grandfather is a bunch of horseshit. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Um, yeah, and it's it's also you got to keep in mind that like he escaped Berlin to the United States when he was four years old. So these are very vivid memories for a four year old child. Oh wow! To have he okay really uh- has no first person experience <laughs> the only memory i have from when i was four was watching billy gunn come out on monday night raw and his ring name at the time was not billy gunn it was mr ass and i looked right at my mom dead in her eyes said mom i hate mr ass and i was in so much trouble and that is the only memory i have from when i was four years old this motherfucker <laughs> saying he remembers the communist torturing any, torturing his grandfather it's, it's ridiculous yeah it is it's complete it's it, it's it it just brace yourself that's all i can say because you know <laughs> we're it's a wild ride we're about to, to to jump on um so eventually they the the pop-offs settled in california which he is was in his entire life 
But uh, before he was in, before moving to California, he was invited to preach. His father, George, was invited to preach at a church in Tacoma, Washington. The only problem with this is that George Popoff and actually all of the Popoffs who were newly immigrated to the United States didn't know how to speak English. And so they decided instead of preaching because he didn't speak English, they would sing hymns to the congregation. That okay, was their, did, they, did they speak German? They spoke uh, German. Yes, they spoke German. They were oh, that that can that can't be good. Right after, <laughs> right, right, okay. right. And you'll see this. This will also play a part in it. So from Popoff's book, uh, we sang about three songs, and the congregation appeared to enjoy them. They clapped long and loud, but dad didn't want to monopolize the meeting with songs in a language that the people couldn't understand. He motioned for us to sit down. Sister Berkey walked over to us, smiling and talking. Suddenly, she gestured for us to stand up again. We found out later what she said. Quote, those were very nice songs, Brother Popoff, but God didn't bring you all the way from behind the iron curtain to sing and then sit down. He brought you here to preach the gospel, and that is exactly what you're going to do. She took our chairs, placed them in front of the platform facing the congregation, then motioned for us to sit down. She and some of the elders of the church then laid hands on us and prayed. This is the laid hands thing you were talking about. Oh, no. Although I was little at the time, he's probably like five or six at the time. I'll never forget how the Holy Spirit came upon us. Suddenly, we were all speaking in a different language, English. The startled audience. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The startled audience was quiet, listening intently to what we were saying. We began praising the Lord like we had spoken English all of our lives. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Hold on. A little background on the audience. I grew up in a uh, church of God, uh, Pentecostal church, and I've heard speak- people speak in tongues. And let me tell you, that was not English. I don't know what they were. I don't know what language it was, but it was not English. But see, they turned English into tongues. Now they're turning German into English. Right? That makes sense. Well, from... Okay. <laughs> Is there a conversion chart somewhere? Is there... <laughs> I, yes, the Bible. <laughs> okay, go on. <laughs> Finally. Dad stood up and began to preach. To our amazement, we could understand every word he said in English. To this day, people remember that miracle and are still amazed. After the meeting, people came up to us and wanted to talk. We couldn't understand what they had said. God had given Dad English only to preach the gospel. When he was through and the anointing of the Holy Spirit had lifted, none of us could speak or understand English. Listen, I've tried Duolingo, okay? It's really hard to learn another language. This, this guy did not get the holy English from going to this church. No, no. It's, and I, I really want to present this like very straight lace, but some of the stuff that is in this book, I really have a hard time not laughing as I read it, but <laughs> it is just so wildly absurd. But this is myth building. Like this is how you build right, this your, is your character. Yeah, this is lore. This is backstory. This is also a very unreliable narrator. um but having so having read that that's only the beginning of the miracles that were bestowed upon young popoff and his family in their new homeland uh much like peter's dad george uh peter's religious awakening came at a very young age so he writes this whole thing about how his father 
found the Lord when he was 14 and like really started going out, but we'll, we'll touch a little bit on that. How much, how much of that do you think is true? Because I, I firmly believe in every lie. There's a grain of truth. I, I do too. I, I do but, too. So like how much of going to that church and learning English to the Holy ghost, how much, how much of like that situation do you think is true? That one, I don't believe any of it. <laughs> I, I, I believe they went to the church, but I don't believe the English to German or the German that, to English that's conversion. The no, the I, don't, I don't believe that at all. I think that's the fiction. I think they happen to be in a, a church in Tacoma. And, and honestly, you know what? It could have been a, a German speaking community, potentially. Okay. And, and that he's like remembering because there's, there's, you know, there's always packets of people, especially with a lot of people immigrating from Germany and, and from, you know, the the eastern block and, and coming to the united states so i i don't know if there was a large german community in tacoma and they went to that church and they they preached there i don't that i would i would say is maybe feasible but the way he tells it is absolutely not <laughs> so uh, this is also according again according to peter and we're going to get away from this text soon but there was just some really good stuff that i wanted to bring up because i think it's really important to talk about how peter builds his myth (laughs) right um according to peter everyone feared that i had contracted rheumatoid fever the doctor wasn't sure whatever it was i thought i was going to die one night when the fever was at its highest pitch the whole room seemed to light up there stood Jesus, just as clear as anything that I had ever experienced. In quotes, Peter, you are well, he smiled. You are going to proclaim my gospel to the ends of the earth. And that was all. He vanished. Suddenly, feeling good, I jumped up and ran into my parents' room. Peter, what are you doing out of the bed? Mother cried with astonishment. I'm well, I'm well, I'm left. Jesus came into my room and made me well. Okay. He's still a child at this point, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, I don't know exactly how young. I think he's nine in this. Okay. I could see a nine-year-old, like, having a good dream, maybe, as soon as real, or yeah. thinking it's real, but come on. <laughs> and there's something about memory too it's like when you when you every time you remember something it becomes less and less true you know it's it becomes right. more and more exaggerated in your brain and it's just this weird thing that your brain does well, so. also i suffer from this too i'm a storyteller i i like to tell good stories and sometimes to tell good stories you got to exaggerate a little bit yep. i think this guy exaggerated a lot Listen, my, my I, I come from a line of storytellers, also Southern, and my dad, his favorite thing is he always says, don't let the truth come and uh, stand in the way of a good story. <laughs> um, so he continues. Oh, sorry. He was younger than nine. I'm sorry. So when he was nine years old, the fever struck again. At the hospital, the doctors told my parents there was nothing they could do for me. Your son may have rheumatic fever, but we can't be sure, our physician said sadly. I suspect it may be beyond any normal ailment. We're doing everything we can, but it doesn't look like he'll pull through. My parents prayed fervently, but nothing changed. At one point, I saw the angel of death walk into my room. He was a figure of doom, but I knew that I was going to be with Jesus. I tried to call mother, but was too weak. 
Suddenly, I recalled a prayer that my father said many times when he was in trouble, quote, Lord, I know that you have done so many miracles. You've delivered me time and time again. And I know that once more for your namesake, you might make your mighty power known. You're going to raise me up for your namesake. Instantly, the angel of death vanished. And in his place stood Jesus. He took my hand and pulled me up until I was standing on the bed. Son, he said lovingly. You're now made whole. I want you to go and preach my gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm going to confirm your ministry with signs. Then he disappeared, and I found myself back under the covers. At first, I wasn't sure if, I had, if it had been a vision or a dream. Lord, I cried, I believe you, and I know you want me to preach the gospel. Well, then, you don't expect me to stay in this old hospital any longer. <laughs> can't do it from this little bed, Jesus. <laughs> this is a nine-year-old going, Lord, I can't do it from this hospital. Oh, As I sat up and yanked the blankets back, I could feel strength course through my body. It was fantastic. Lord, I cried, if you told me that I'm well, I'm getting up. Okay. That's all bullshit. <laughs> right? I mean, that just sounds like a bad acid trip. It's all the angel of death, and it's like, okay, <laughs> this like, isn't good. That sounds like something in a that's that's like an adult who is not a great writer. How an adult that's not a great writer would write a nine year old character? Yeah, at nine years old, you're like, okay, I want to watch Puppy Dog Palace. You're not saying, oh Jesus, I have the strength, I have the strength to get up from this bed and I'm getting out of this hospital. I'm gonna leave this hospital. <laughs> I'm gonna lead your church, Lord. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's, I think, a really big exercise in myth building. And there's so much more in that book. I mean, I, I could actually, we could do a series just reading that book chapter by chapter. The amount of absolute, it's just malarkey that's in that book is really <laughs> overwhelming. And the amount that it's changed so much in his i mean like i think that's what it is you're constantly updating you're constantly changing your story oh, so this story doesn't fit. stay the same no well no not all of it not the stuff that i kind of compared to currently there's 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 some stuff that has stayed the same but like i mean he's never republished an autobiography so there's never been another telling of this but the parts of his autobiography that he puts on his site a lot of them contradict what he had previously written Okay. Okay. He, he's 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 really gotten good at like editing it down and streamlining it and kind of making but it so it's a little bit more relevant. Does he not realize that we've heard the story before? Like we know you're lying now. Well, this book is not in print, so you have to really track it down. Oh, what, how how was how did you get it? I I I have a lot of ways on the internet. I found it. <laughs> the televangelist black market. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's quite a bit. Listen, you know, the angel that, of death actually appears on your doorstep. And I, gives you I, the book. I listen that same site. I got uh, Creflo dollars, um, high school essays. I have all of it. Listen, they, these guys can't put a word down without me catching it and putting it in the archive. Oh, wow. That's not okay. true. That's totally not true. Producer <laughs> Austin putting in work. <laughs> so we're going to jump to, they are in America. They are, um, George, Peter's father, is now uh, heading up revivals all around the United States, touring the United States. Um, in, in 1960, Peter was 13, and he joined his father on the road as a child preacher. And I very much believe this. I think that this was this was like yeah. a this is a gimmick. You know, I've like, seen that before. Yeah, the, child the, preachers yeah. are like they've been around for a long time. Um, 
in one advertisement for a revival in Wilmington, Delaware, the elder Popoff is described as a un unusual man of God. Uh, his gimmick was really being a preacher from behind the Iron Curtain who escaped and was now spreading the word of the Lord. It kind of feels... This is a wrestling character. Yeah, it is. Very much <laughs> so. That's all it is. Yeah, it is. And, and I kind of get the feeling that he was... That George Popoff was a little bit exploited for having like a thick German yeah. accent. Okay, yeah. And being this preacher and, and escaping communism. You know, the big dun, dad. Dun, dun. Right. And, and this is perfect because this is like Cold War. This is peak Cold War america there you know the the red scare is there and it really starts to form into like what we see today where especially like prosperity gospel is all about capitalism being good with god and communism being satanic and so Listen, this is god loves money <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly and make and... sure you pay your 10 percent <laughs> you got to tithe. So I think this is, this, I, I don't think I, this is actually when it really starts, but it in it really escalates in the eighties when Popoff hits his stride and really gets going. I mean, that's, that's when they hammer it home and it really starts to take shape. So it was at that very same revival in Wilmington, Delaware, that young Peter delivered a performance that would become a staple of his preaching repertoire. This is also from his book again 13 years old just keep that in mind uh, <laughs> <laughs> once it delivers from the chakras of communism Lord. cast out your aspersions <laughs> <laughs> so i had been preaching for about 45 minutes when the people began to shout they started jumping and running all over the place crutches were being thrown away deaf people were shouting that they could hear and the blind were seeing one deaf man came up and asked me to pray for him. Afterward, I put my watch up to his ear. Still can't hear anything, he muttered. I prayed again. Lord, do a miracle for this man now. Suddenly, the man jerked away, pushing me back so hard I nearly fell down. Then he grabbed my arm with, with the watch and he held it several inches from his ear. It sounds just like an alarm clock, he exclaimed joyfully. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrifying yep that's it faith healer age 13 okay number one they had this poor child up there preaching for 45 minutes probably in a tent probably probably in yeah. the heat oh yeah definitely sweating his ass off <laughs> then he has to go and pretend like he's making somebody here he's probably got a full suit on <laughs> you know and i mean if he's really working the crowd like he says he is you know you're sweating Oh, yeah, I got the neck into the forehead. <laughs> I feel like this is why child labor laws were invented. Oh, gotta be. <laughs> At the age of 14, he claims that he began, which is a year later, he claims that he began touring without his father. And he was often billed as the miracle boy evangelist from about the from behind the Iron Curtain. So he's very much taking up that. that okay. Okay, he's uh, Ray Mysterio Jr. over here <laughs> taking off the Papa Popoff gimmick. Yep. And and I actually couldn't find any evidence of him at any revivals on his own. So I am okay. not sure how true that I, was. Yeah, I don't believe that. There's there's no way that a parent would send their child at 14. Well, so he 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 kind of contradicts himself in his own book because he talks about how he his parents gave their blessing this is the believable part they gave their blessing and he used to go to these revivals and meet up with colleagues of his father 
Okay. So they were they, they he would meet up with other evangelical preachers in um, different cities, and he would preach at their revivals. But he had made the promise that he would never get behind in his schoolwork. But then, plot twist: he actually never graduates high school. Okay, so, so either number one, he made a shit ton of money and felt the need to not finish high school, or he's lying. <laughs> right. Right. And I, I, the other thing I should note is that the age 14 is the exact same age that he says his father began preaching and traveling as a traveling preacher. So okay. I, I feel like there might be some weird daddy crossing the wires. Yeah. 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 Because he, he does talk about how his dad, what whose dad, who's from Bulgaria and, and then relocated to Berlin, his dad used to roam the Bulgarian countryside with stacks of Bibles on his back, and he would go from town to town and preach to whoever would listen to him. So mm. I, I wonder if like the age of 14 is significant in that way that hey, that just happens to be the same age as his father when he began doing the same thing. Wants to be like daddy. He wants to be like dad. Yep. Um, he also tells a lot of stories about his teenage years on the road and how oftentimes he was approached or bullied by gangs of kids his own age, which, I mean, I actually see that as believable. You get this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you're a teenager and you get this nerd in a suit and they're like, we're going to we're going to beat you up. Remarkably, though, rather than fighting them, he would invite them to one of his sermons. I, I Now, I want you to complete what happened when these kids went to the sermons you don't have any info on this what do you think happened ah uh, they were extraordinarily mean <laughs> they would throw things uh no you gotta think uh, it's myth building like when they they like they wanted to beat him up and he's like no please come to my sermon and then they did oh they found the lord yes they turned their life around yes. they <laughs> jesus came into their life Yep, yep. This stuff writes itself, honestly. Like, I, like it's I was, just... I was sorry. I was thinking in the real world. Right, right. You're, this is we got, you have to put in under myth building because that's absolutely what this is. Yeah. So they they all came and they converted, and some of them wrote him later in life saying how much of an impact they had that he had on their lives, and he turned them around from these horrible lives that they had before, and they found God, and and that it's just too tidy. It's yeah, just no. too neat. It just doesn't work that way. Well, like, it, yeah, it's it's like if you wrote this into a script and, and tried to sell it to a, 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 a studio, right? Let's just say they would go, this is completely unbelievable. Like nobody's right. going to buy this stuff, you know? What Maybe, was that movie that came out? Not so, like God's Not Dead. Right. That was the worst movie I've ever. All right, hold on. I didn't go see this on my own. Please don't think I went and saw this on my own. <laughs> I was dating a girl that was very religious. I am not religious. You can see where there's a little conflict of interest there. <laughs> Lifestyle difference. Oh, yeah. Big time. And I went to this movie and I, she loved it. She thought it was the best thing she's ever seen. I was like, that was trash. That was terrible. <laughs> okay, I'm getting off on a tangent. I'm sorry. God's not dead, filmmakers. I'm sure you tried your best. I'm sure they're listening, too. Oh, yeah. If you're listening, uh, don't go to Peter Popoff's website. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 such a like it's it's I don't I don't know. It, it might have been because of when it was written. Like it, he thought this is a more naive time and people will believe this kind of thing. And maybe yeah. as a society, we're a little bit more cynical. But I couldn't help but read this and just keep slapping my forehead going, oh, my goodness. 
Well, I think back then, this is uh, what what time frame is this? Give me a decade. Uh, he's this is in the sixties, early sixties. Okay. Yeah, there was that whole oh, chase the American dream. You could do it. Anything's attainable. Yeah. There's that whole mindset going on. So I could I could see that. It's Maybe. also it's also reaching like I mean he wrote the book in the 80s but this is like he's telling the story about him in the early 60s. So I, I think that I think it's less believable when you said it in the early 80s but I don't know. Maybe maybe it is. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh this is it's a weird it's a weird time. It's a weird situation. I, I don't believe in any circumstance those guys would even bother showing up oh they'd kick his ass they would be like he would ask them to come and he'd be like, shut up nerd bam yeah. and they'd <laughs> knock him on the ground and they'd probably yeah they'd probably kick the crap out of him that's what that's i don't care what time frame you're talking about that's just how like bullies and gangs act to a perceived nerdy uh you know kid that was <laughs> that was doing something that they didn't perceive just i'm not saying some- I, I don't think it's right i'm not condoning that sort of violence at all yeah, please but, don't don't hit each other people yeah don't hit each other don't pick on other kids if unless you're some tiny man in a suit comes over like, oh lord listen <laughs> <laughs> if, if you're a, if you're a tiny kid evangelical you 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 got it coming no yeah, that's not yeah. we're not condoning violence we're not dalton we're not condoning violence the thoughts of dalton harris does not represent if you catch my grift <laughs> <laughs> um so after that, there's, you know, he, he talks a little bit about how he got into college without finishing high school. This is pre GED being a thing. Yeah, and like yeah, he, he charmed his way in and was so smart that they just had to let him in, which also just makes me crazy. Honestly, I don't think that's that unbelievable in no, that time frame. No, but it's very self bragging. It's like, yeah. oh, look at me. I think he's clever. He's, he's, okay, I'll put this he's up gotta right be. now. Yes, he is very clever. He is a very smart man. He is uh, nobody that we're going to cover in this series is a dumbass. Because right. they have all managed to, you know, fleece a lot of people or just some people, but out of a lot of money. And right. I, I don't think there's any dummies, but I think it's like they're taking whatever natural skills they have and whatever intelligence they have. And they're twisting it into like a really they're like real life super villains. Yeah, they are. They've, they've got this, they've got this massive wealth of intelligence and they're like, I will use it for evil. <laughs> and they know exactly what they're doing. There's oh, nobody, yeah. there's very few innocent people in this. They, they know they're very, they, they, they've got, they know the game. They, they pull it off nicely except for a maybe miss cleo future if you catch my grift episode yeah i almost said the same thing yes miss, miss cleo is coming soon uh and she's she's a very interesting one um so he went to college and that is where he met his co-grifter his lifelong co-grifter his oh. wife uh elizabeth she's in on it this is a family thing he comes from a family of religious i wouldn't say grifters but he like starting with him especially is where the grift starts and he's this is a grift family now right i could um, imagine peter popoff being just like a i love jesus guy uh, yeah he kind i i don't know I, I i have a hard time i don't know if he was ever sincere i i i really after reading everything i've read i'm not sure that he was ever a sincere player i think well, the, even, even when he was a kid i think that he wanted to be his dad 
but he wanted to figure out how to make as much money as he could. <laughs> I want to be my dad, but I want to make that money. Yeah. Like I want to be my dad, but I, I want to be more successful. And what's success in America that's not necessarily in East Berlin is make as much money as you possibly can. The American dream, baby. It's the American dream. That's it. Uh, so he and Elizabeth or Liz, I'll call her Liz. Cause that's what he calls her. Uh, graduated in 1970. They were married in 1971 and pretty quickly after that, they started a radio program, which led to his TV ministry. And that's when this stuff really starts rolling. This is the story. So we got the background out of the way. And now we're going to talk about the grift and how okay. it's structured. And, and I think a, a lot of what I like looking at is how like the organization is structured. You know, I think that's really, that's kind of a, an interesting angle to see how their operation was well, it's run like a business, right? Yeah, it is. And it's very much run like that. So, I mean, you can say, Oh, he's just stealing his money, but there's a lot of people involved and there's a big organization involved. Um, so I, I, we touched on this a little bit at first, but I wanted to just bring it back to this prosperity gospel as a concept, prosperity gospel, or the idea that money is a sign of God's blessing is something that can trace be traced back to the 1950s, but it really took hold and exploded in the 80s. Uh, the basic premise is that when you give to a divine institution or organization, God will re reward you with his blessings. I think that seems ridiculous, but that's what it is. Um, Popoff kind of took this and was like, hold my beer. He just, <laughs> he ran with it. Y'all said what? <laughs> he went so much further and, and claimed that not only if you, that if you gave him money, not only would you be given great health and blessings, but checks and financial windfall would just magically show up. He was like, if you give, you'll get back and you'll get back in cold, hard cash. He was you know, so... That's that's not even the first time I've heard that. Like outside of us recording that I've heard many churches say that now you got you to bring your tides, but you now they do. And that's, that really started with pop-off. Like a lot of the, the, a lot of the other prosperity ministers and they weren't called prosperity gospel at the time. That's sort of the term sort of evolved. They were just like, Jesus's blessing would be delivered upon you. But pop-off is like, no, you're going to get cold, hard cash. Give us money. <laughs> These like divine checks are going to find their way to you. And it's so blatant and obvious, but it also like sort of scratches at an itch that a lot of people had where they were like, we're broke. We're down on our luck. We're desperate. He's saying that if we give to his organization, God's going to give us a check from God's personal checking account. I want bank statements. I want to see which <laughs> bank is sending this money. I want to know, does, does Jesus bank have a brick and mortar? Can I walk in? Does it have Can a drive-thru? Right. Can I go over like, hey, I believe, give me money. Literal receipts. Um, he also would say things like you might get a raise at work. And that's that's also been like a big thing with Prosperity Gospel. Uh, but you, the only way to do that is you had to give. It's so blatant. It's so blatant. It's It's very much like... I don't even think it's prosperity gospel. I think it's lottery gospel, you know, right. where you buy a ticket and you get a chance to win the jackpot. And, and that's, huh. and I think that it, I don't think I actually know that it preys upon a lot of people that are underprivileged and, and really financially strained that routinely play 
the lottery. It's the same yeah. thing. It, it really, there's this, this desperation that it plays on. And I think that it makes him all kind of a more revolting figure. It's geared towards uneducated, low income communities 100%. that don't know enough to know better. And elderly communities. There's uh, a big part of that. It's really, he's definitely taking advantage of, of, of the easiest targets. And, and unfortunately, I've, that's going to be something that we're going to have to talk about a lot in I think a lot of episodes because it, it seems to be, in the, in the research I've done, it's a definitely a recurring theme over and over again. See if they would have just beat him up as a tiny, tiny man. No, I know. Gotten to the- <laughs> God, I should have kicked his ass harder. I'm not condoning violence. <laughs> but man, sometimes somebody needs their their butt kicked in Minecraft. Oh, does that work? <laughs> so I, I, I'm not really sure where these magical checks from heaven would, would come from. <laughs> but I guess the Lord works in mysterious ways. Oh, he does. <laughs> So the grift is organized with four pillars, right? There's TV and radio. There is the mailing list and the in-person crusades. And so crusades, the crusades, the the, the revivals, the like he was don't like that. (laughs) No, he called them crusades. I'm not making that up. (laughs) I call them revivals. He calls them crusades. It's, it's the eighties. It's, it's a different time. (laughs) (laughs) So they all, all of these work together to get his message out and ensure that he had, uh, you know, maximum income. It also ensnared new followers. I mean, he was a very convincing speaker. He's a very, very charismatic person. Um, And it's pretty, it's a pretty clever scheme and it was used by, it's not unique to pop off. It was used by a lot of different, televangelists at the time like all of them had mailing lists all of them had tv all of them had these in person i'm gonna continue to say crusade because that seems to be the word that they liked at the the time um but popoff kind of had his own little flair that he added to it which i think makes it even more fascinating Papa eventually bought airtime on 55 TV and 130 radio stations every week to get his message out. So it works nationwide. Yeah. Nationwide all across the country. And these worked like almost like infomercials. They actually work like you want to talk about wrestling. It works like early wrestling where the, the, the TV stations weren't paying Popoff for his content. He was buying the airtime from them to to broadcast. Most of it was late at night because that's the cheapest time to buy. Right. Uh, and also you find um, more unemployed people watching TV late at night. Okay, so you, you, you've got your target audience there. Uh, the, when he would implore the viewers to call and pray with one of his prayer partners and he'd have like an 800 number on there. And he'd also lure callers in with various gimmicks like quote a free anointed oil keychain blessed by Popoff himself so they would send you stuff in the mail if you come okay I'm, that's not the first th- oh this is drawing really scary parallels in my life <laughs> that's not the first time i've heard of anointed oil either that was like a commonplace in the church i went to when i was younger yep honestly it's a commonplace even in the catholic church that's that's like a big thing okay but this guy saying that he can bless it he'll send it to you oh yeah that's different my preacher never blessed oil. he just right he just would use it yeah right um but they just want you to call because then they have you then they get all of your contact information they get any of your ailments that you may have 
and they can instantly add you to the mailing list. So, so was this toll free or was it a 900 number? It was a toll free. Okay. Yeah. Wait till Miss Cleo for the 900 numbers. <laughs> Future episode on if you catch my grift. <laughs> uh, so they were toll free, and they'd have they have people in his organization standing by to take all of your information and to pray with you about whatever ailments you had. So they they had a massive database with addresses and names and and ailments. It was it was a big it was that was the bit. This is the big part of it, dude. He would have made a killing if the internet was around. Are you kidding me? Email lists yeah. straight to your phone, send you text messages. Oh, just wait. <laughs> oh no uh so then once you called that number you were done the mailings would start you're you're getting these mailings and the mailings would come there's probably two to three of them per month all soliciting money and if there was an upcoming crusade near where you lived you'd probably get even more mailings because they were urging people to go to these in-person hey, crusades this has to be thousands of people that he's like Oh, this scamming, right? Yeah, it's a lot. I actually never, I can't find a real number because so mailing lists in this time, actually mailing lists forever are really highly protected and they're highly guarded. And so all of these televangelists have mailing lists that they guard, right? And some of them buy mailing lists from other people and they do what they call, I'll go into, we'll, we'll take a little left turn and talk about how mailing lists work. They have you buy a mailing list from someone for a certain amount of time, right? So you're saying, I have this mailing list that I'm leasing from you for six months or 12 months or whatever. Now, what there is, is there are markers in this mailing list. And what those are, are addresses in that mailing list that only the owner of the mailing list knows about. So you're sending mail to every one of them for a certain amount of time. If after that time, the owner said, you're done, you're not leasing this anymore, but he still gets mailers to his markers he knows that you're still using his mailing list okay let me pull back the curtain a little bit listeners and for the 2020 election leading up to it i was getting a mail i was getting a mailer is that what you call them mailers or yeah, brochures? Mail, mailer Advertis- advertisements i was getting advertisements every day every single day sometimes more than one a day from conservative parties i guess affiliations for uh and there was just spouting nonsense i had one that told me the socialists that were going to ban the hamburgers i got one disguised as a christmas card okay i got this envelope and there's a stamp with a christmas tree i was like oh cool somebody's giving me a christmas card no return address open it up it says happy holidays i'm like okay cool and then i open up the card and it says, that's what the socialists want you to say. They want to take away Christmas. I'm like, oh, no. Now, I will say, just, just Dalton lives in Georgia, which had this intense Senate runoff. And, and I think that's when most of those mailers came, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you still, you still owe me. Yeah. yeah, they're all in my trunk. They've been sitting in my trunk for two months now. I was going to send them to Austin. But every time I pass the post office, it just slips my mind. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I think a lot of what you saw in that election is an is a evolution of what Popoff sent. And I'll talk to you about the mailers a little bit more. But um, needless to say, these guys, all of these guys protected 
their mailing lists. These things were a li- literally a license to print money. And so they wanted their own. They sometimes bought or you know leased mailing lists from other people, but they really wanted to build their own so they didn't have to pay those fees to other people in order to grift all of this money away from people who needed it and really shouldn't have been sending it to these people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my question was, when I asked you if it was thousands of people, he's got to have like a whole organization, right? He does. Of yeah, he, like hiring yeah. people. Yep. He does. He has a whole organization and we'll, we'll get in a little bit. Uh, I think maybe in part two, depending on how long this runs, uh, as to kind of like what that structure looks like, because there's um, a really good book that was written by someone who, uh, worked for Peter Popoff and got out knowing like she, she went in full of faith and heart and she was like, this is going to be great. I believe in the mission. And she got in there and actually got to see what it was really like. And was like, ah, my jaded ass was like, what kind of morally corrupt person? (laughs) I, I think a lot of people, it seemed like a lot of people really believed it. And then the ones that stuck around became jaded and just were like, well, this is what it is. But I think a lot of people that worked for him, went in there with the best intentions, you know, maybe not even knowing who he was, you know, a lot of them were like, Oh, I just know that this is a Christian organization. Right. And then getting in there and going, Whoa, what is this? It's like Chick-fil-A. The Jesus chicken. (laughs) All people know is a a Christian organization, but behind the scenes. (laughs) Um, So I find the mailing stuff really fascinating and I don't know necessarily why, but I, I, I want to tell you about them. So a lot, not a lot. Some of the, the mailers came with these cheap little trinkets. So like the annotated oil blessed by Popoff himself. So they would come with like a charm or a trinket and very, very specific instructions on how to perform a ritual to unlock the blessings of that particular object this was usually just meant to like be wearing or carrying the the trinket for a few days and then you would send it back once that was performed with the requested donation amount right so they would they sent like these things that look like hospital booties they would say put these on your shoes or in your feet and walk around for a day and then send them back with a check for x amount and you'll receive this blessing no I mean, it's really blatant. There's no, there's, there's no, there, there's no subtlety about any of this. Give me money. <laughs> Give me, do something silly with this cheap, like worthless thing that I sent you and give me money and, and then you'll be blessed. I'm a rich Nigerian prince and I'm asking you this. <laughs> That's actually really true. I didn't even put that together. So I, I really want to compare Popoff to another televangelist that was active at the time. So I just to show you how much bigger and 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 like louder he was as someone. So this is from James Randi's 1987 book, The Faith Healers. And I know you know who James Randi is. Oh yeah, baby. And we're, we're going to talk about him later for sure, because he's going to be, he's a big, big part of this story, but he's also going to be a He's. I have a feeling he's going to turn up in a lot of other stories because this was okay. his, his entire career. So he's 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 all over the place. Well, I like this guy. He's a sweetheart. He is a sweetheart. We really like James Randi is the hero of If You Catch My Grift. He's our first hero. He's definitely on the Mount Rushmore. There might be more that we discover, 
there, there, I kind of think there might be a couple more that I'm already thinking of, but Randy is, is the first of, of that group. So from his book, Faith Healers, he says, one of Popoff's mailings in January 1986 contained a tiny packet of pink crystals and a nickel-sized round wafer sealed in plastic wrap. The letter that came with it said, let me say this first, generally. All through God's word, no one has received a miracle from God unless they did something that seemed unreasonable to the carnal mind. So God asks you to do that which is unreasonable, which doesn't correspond to your natural reasoning, that which you'd never think of doing. As a believer, take the wine and bread lead that I sent you. Then take the special prayer slip and write on it the urgent problems that you face and needs you have today. Next, Put this wine and bread that I have prayed over in your Bible at Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 through 29. Then put your prayer slip inside the enclosed envelope and be sure to include your seed gift for God's word. The Lord spoke about $177. Pray about this. What? (laughs) Give me money. Yep. Uh, Mail the envelope to me. Don't let doubt enter your mind. Act today. James. After the pr- this prayer, blessed wine and bread have been in your Bible three days. Take them out in faith. Eat the bread. Eat the health of the body of Jesus. Then pour the wine into a small amount of water and drink it. You will actually see the water become unfermented wine, the kind Jesus used. When you place the prayer slip in this envelope, try to include the amount for which the Lord put into your heart for his work. It is your measure of faith. This is important time. You already know what to do. You know what to do. (laughs) That was his message. Like talking about how you're going to do unusual things because that's what Jesus wants you to do or God wants you to do. I mean, it it lines up with the Bible. I mean, uh, fuck. My grandma would kill me right now. I'm forgetting the Bible story. (laughs) She's probably Uh, not listening. uh, Grandma, if you're listening. um, When I think it was Abraham had to kill his son, right? Took him up on the rock. And maybe he was like, here we go. And God was like, wait, 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 wait. No, do it. <laughs> I mean, it lines up uh, in I religious just, text. He does ask you to do unreasonable things. Well, this is, this is, this very much gets into like the, you know, the, the process and the ritual that you have to do in order with these items in order to, to fulfill what he wants so, you to do. Okay. So he's trying to turn water into wine, right? How, yeah. how would that, how would that work? They would, see it not turn into wine right don't get too far ahead okay okay (laughs) (laughs) so this cocky motherfucker (laughs) so i I, now back to james randy he says contrast this with a rather less ambitious mailing by oral roberts in 1983 oral roberts was another big televangelist has a university um anyway he sent out a few wafers to his followers saying now partner I have enclosed this packet containing the bread, the symbolic element of the body for our Holy Communion services on May 22nd at 2 p.m. That's the whole, that's the whole yeah, thing? That's it. That's it. <laughs> like, that, to me, sets Peter Popoff on a completely different level than all these other guys. Right. So he's collaborating with other grifters. No, I think they just probably all have the same supplier. <laughs> <laughs> But I think that the, it's the presentation. You know, Oral Roberts has this like really low-key, very simple thing. But like 
Popoff has got you putting this in your Bible at a very specific chapter gotcha. and then you eat it okay, and then you okay. mix the wine and then you have to send this very specific amount because God told you to send $177. And if you don't do this peculiar thing that you don't think to like, it's very, it's a totally different tone. He's charismatic. And he's so charismatic and it's very effective. And it's what's made him, he, it's what's made him so effective uh, that he just really approaches this and, and does it in a completely different way. Uh, so I, I I like that because it really shows you know what people at the time were, you know, were doing versus what Pop yeah. Off was like. Hey, I'm gonna come in and blow everything up. Spoiler alert: um, the wine crystals they were cherry Kool Aid. Oh no, this is getting ridiculous. This is now finally ridiculous. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> like this is the point of no return. You've heard the man talk about how he got laid hands on him and his father and him could all speak English. <laughs> Listen, when you cheat me on my alcohol, you're crossing the line. What's to say? I mean, that's some, I don't. That's kind of terrible wine. I've never tasted a wine that tastes like cherry. Cherry. It's not even the right fruit. Like at least Let be great. <laughs> so that was yeah. That's 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 the con that's the grift and asking for for bigger and bigger dollar amounts based on how long you've been on the list um oh so there's like tears i guess i think so i i can't get any real clarity on that because there's a lot of secret secrets behind that and there's a lot that you know he that wasn't exposed i mean there's a lot that gets exposed but there's a lot that's not necessarily exposed that sounds a lot like a. Uh... Scientology founder Elron. Right <laughs> yeah, it's for sure, for sure. I think, and then you know, I, I, these all these guys all came up at around the same time. So this is like, there's like a collective thing. Well, Elron was earlier than Pop Off. Oh, really? Yeah, Elron's been at it for. He was at it for a while before, but it's all kind of that shared mentality. And 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 actually, reading this, a lot of these guys knew each other and they collaborated. Um, Popoff would give to other, you know, churches that needed like other ministers that would come to him and say, Hey, I need help. Um, Popoff would give them money or fund them in any way he can. So like he was, he was a, a little bit charitable, but to other scoundrels. So, so my question is, do you think he believed at all? Like deep down in his heart, even though he was grifting, even though he's a scammer, do you think he has any belief? Honestly, no. I really don't. <laughs> I really, really don't. I, I think this was purely a financial. And you and I are observers of Alex Jones, for instance. And I don't think that any way, shape, or form, he believes the religious babble that he goes into. And I don't think I, that I he want believes. to believe Alex Jones believes. So. Yes, I do too. But that's that's how he gets you. you better please not don't think I like Alex Jones' audience. I don't. <laughs> I do not condone. Uh, if you catch my grift, does not condone Alex Jones. <laughs> but I, I just, just think it's funny to hear him freak out. <laughs> it, it, it's, it is actually kind of a lot of fun to hear him. But I, I think that they believe in the same way that Alex believes in okay. the literal Christian devil on earth <laughs> at the head of the democratic party or i don't globalists. Know. i don't even know yeah globalists that's what it is yeah so papa he really knew what he was doing and his organization is impressive even if it's awful you know it's it's just there's no excuse for that he hired um experts in mail marketing to write a lot of the copy based on kind of his thoughts initially so they were the ones that were writing this like incendiary reactionary 
copy in in his letters he also invested heavily in technology and this is still the 80s so he was really cutting edge in that way uh his shop shop his office was able to print out a hundred thousand mailers at a time oh wow uh, which is significant i mean this That's just gives lot. you an idea of how big his operation was that he's even able to print these out hundred thousand of them so he's got a hundred thousand to send out i don't know how big his mailing list was but it, it was massive uh he the prints themselves like the letters when they actually came out were really slick and they looked like they were typed out and then they had peter come in handwrite parts of it okay so it looks like he's personally like doing every yes one. yes so he would go through and he would he would underline certain paths. It looked like he didn't actually do this. It was a part of the print. And this was a very advanced computer printing for the 80s, just so you put that in there, that it looked like handwriting. But they would go in and they would underline certain parts. And Peter would scribble notes in the column and highlight certain things with a different color highlighter. And these right. really look like handwritten, like hand typed and then handwritten notes. Which was so when people got part. this, when people got this, like, oh, Peter did this for me. Exactly. Exactly. There's a book called, or there's not a book, it's a paper called God's Frequency is 31.17 millihertz, The Investigation of Peter Popoff. And it was originally published in 1987 by Al Seckel. And he said this, a man preparing to enter the Popoff crusade in San Francisco in February was approached by a TV interviewer. Quote, why are you coming to see Reverend Popoff? He was asked, quote, Peter wrote to me, replied the man, and wanted me to come here today for a special message God has for me. He was blissfully unaware that thousands of persons in the Bay Area received the identical letters. Identical, that is, except for the personalized effect generated by Popoff's computer. Uh, they're starting to catch on to him. The, the, yeah, I think people that were observing him, This is and this is a guy that actually worked with James Randi, so he'd right. been traveling and, and going to a lot of the different uh, revival meetings that Popoff had, but it just shows how effective the marketing is right it's good it's really good it's good it's and i think it's a combination of two things i think it's looking like a personalized letter so that you feel that connection but i also think that there's something with that ritual again it goes back to you actually doing something like it's more than you just sending money because that seems very easy it's a lot like in the church a preacher pointing one person out and they're saying, Brother Austin, I know you've been having a hard time lately. And I just want you to know that God's got plans for you, Brother Austin. He's going to do great things in your life. You won't be feeling this way much longer. And even though that's a very general thing to say, they're addressing you. And it yep. feels like that person hears your problems. And I feel like what he did was take this tactic that they would use in a ministry and just apply it to a mailing list. Yeah, they did. They very much did. It's very much like a, the personalization of it. But then... You know, and and then beyond that is like you have to sending money alone is not the answer. You have right. to do something. You have to perform this. If you're just sending thing. money, they would know. Right. They they might catch wise, but there's something about like I have to do this for God to send me a check from his personal checking account. I don't know, um, but like, and I, I I really think that that's awful, but really clever. You know, right. like you're just like, man, this guy, he, he was operating on a different level in order to solicit. Even though he's doing ones. a bad thing, you can he's, see like there's intelligence behind it. You yeah. Can kind of appreciate it. A little he's, bit. Do, he's doing a bad thing. Well, 
Right. Really well. Really well. Really well. And so I, and there's definitely some of that that I, that I, I kind of am like, I struggle with a little bit when I was reading about him. Cause I was like, God, this is a great operation. This is something that like put, he put a ton of work into, he put a ton of thought into, it seems to be very polished and that's impressive from a operational and business standpoint, but fuck this guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> this guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like double fuck this guy. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's kind of what it is. So in the, in addition to the promise of better health and financial windfall, Peter would also ask for money to fund his elaborate schemes to smuggle Bibles into repressed areas of the world. This included floating Bibles in large helium balloons over the iron curtain into communist Eastern Europe and later sending them in watertight containers that would float into communist China. He and his followers were spreading the word of Jesus to the most oppressed parts of the world. And even if you didn't believe that you needed Popoff's prayers, surely people living under a cruel communist regime deserve to have salvation. He's trying to take this operation worldwide. Yeah, yeah. And he said, after all, was it not Moses who escaped the cruel Pharaoh through his faith in God? So he makes a really big point of these operations. He thinks he's a spy. He thinks he's a spy <laughs> for God. He thinks that he's smuggling Bibles into Eastern European and China. I'm pretty sure they, they probably wouldn't have cared. <laughs> I mean, today, no, but maybe in the eighties, it would have been a bigger, it, it's all bullshit. I don't believe any of that. I don't believe any of that at all. I think that it was another way to raise money and that's 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 it i think it are was we a, still like do we still have tension in the united states at this time towards uh, russia and communists we don't have a this is the 80s so there's not really a relationship with china but there's definitely it's still cold war so we're still like russia's the bad guy and i actually don't think the china thing started until after the 80s but i don't want to give too much away so his audience is going to perceive that he's trying to save these people that are being mistreated by communism because he escaped it and that's still part of his thing where like he he escaped communist you know regimes and now he's in america and what he wants to do as part of his ministry is to you know give them the word of the lord and the only way he can do that is if he puts bibles on helium balloons and launches them <laughs> into the country i'm i'm not making this up <laughs> that sounds ridiculous it is ridiculous <laughs> So was he down there personally or did he send like his organization? So he did take trips where he'd go and he'd start preaching the word. And he has this whole narrative in his. Okay. Is this, is this true though? Like, did he actually take trips? So there are pictures of him. There are photographs of him in Eastern Europe and in China, but it just, the way that he plays it off is that he's some secret agent that is, you know, skipped over the border and done this. And it's so absurd and ridiculous. And again, myth building. Right. But I have or, a re- I have a really hard time. I, I mean, I think that he probably went in the country, had some Bibles, handed them out, got a good photo op, and got the hell out of there. Donald Trump in front of the church after uh, exactly yeah. with the Bible in his yeah. hand. That's exactly what that is. Um, yeah, and and I just it's this was towards the end of the the Cold War, but it really manufactured the manufactured image of the cold war was very much still around and the red menace was really still on the media a, a ton so this was this was good this was a good marketing strategy and it was a good fundraising strategy but i really think all of it went into his pocket so at its peak the mailing campaign 
uh, brought in by some estimates between one and ten, two million per month. Whoa. And this is 80s money? Yep. Oh, so wow. it's between two and four in today's money. And it was running on operating expenses of about $550,000. So that pays his staff. That pays for postage. Oh, wow. This so, dude's keeping 75%. Yeah, he's clearing anywhere from 500000 to $1.5 a month. Oh, wow. Was this public knowledge? Like, did people know he was living like this? Nope. Well, people around him did because he right. lived a very lavish lifestyle private planes he'd stay in presidential suites you know like only the best for him but they were a nonprofit, so they didn't have to disclose this all of this information mm. that i have now at this period in time comes from people who used to work for him that quit and they were saying these things um the mailing list was also invaluable at drumming up attendees for any of pop-offs in-person crusades if you happen to live near one of the stops on his tour, you get a special invitation to meet the prophet and attend his service. And he did bill himself as a prophet. So he wasn't just a reverend. He oh. was divinely chosen by God to receive his message. If you were one of his big donors, which were labeled as, they're called Code Sevens in this world. And all of the televangelists call them Code Sevens. So it's sevens. like another Scientology. <laughs> is kinda. it? Yeah, it sounds like another Scientology. It might be. It may be. The way it works is... Uh, future episodes of Scientology, you come into tiers and they only reveal more information uh, according to what tier you are. And you have to pay a certain amount of money to get to this tier. Right. There, there wasn't, it wasn't tiered as much as it's like a certain group of people were called code seven. And I don't gotcha. know the origins. Okay. I couldn't find the origins of that. I'm sure some smart listener who knows more than I do will correct me, but please email us. If you catch my gift at gmail.com. <laughs> this is why Dalton does our social because he's, he's good at plugging and I'm terrible at it. <laughs> so if you were at code seven, you actually might even get a phone call from someone on pop off steam, encouraging you to attend these events. Cause they knew you were a big fish. You had a lot of money and it's another layer of personalization there, right? It is. Absolutely. It is. You get the call and be like, Hey, Austin, um, I'm, we really need you down here, brother, at so-and-so uh, at so-and-so o'clock. Yep, absolutely. Uh, the revivals, oof, we're, we're really going to talk a lot about them um, probably next time. But that's really where Peter just shined. Like that was him at his most natural element. That is laying on hands, hitting people in the forehead, going, you know, Jesus, take this illness away from this person. In front of a packed audience pop off with no notes in hands would call out to someone in attendance he would follow up with their home address and oftentimes their ailment okay number one that would make me so uncomfortable (laughs) nowadays nowadays yes because everybody's (laughs) so concerned about privacy but put it in the 80s and you'd be like oh my goodness how did this happen the supernatural ability to speak with god which is what he called his gift of knowledge would always elicit a huge applause from the audience. And oftentimes the person whose name was called would be overwhelmed to the point of tears because they had been chosen by the prophet of God, Peter Popoff. Peter would then lay hands on them and cure them of whatever illness that they have in the name of Jesus. He was a complete faith healer. That's a pretty sticky thing. The thing that he added was the ability without a list and paper in front of him to call out someone's name address and ailment okay a little behind the scenes audience i kind of know about this part (laughs) but don't ruin it but i'm not gonna no spoilers 
I I do know there were some real people, but were there any plugs in the audience occasionally? Perhaps there may have been. There may have been. Okay, but, but All right, without gonna, giving too much away, okay. we're gonna get we're gonna go deep in, inside the next one. But the you know there were real people that he did call out their names and addresses and ailments, and it was a surprise to a lot of people. And this is ultimately what piqued James Randi's interest in this whole situation. He typically would, he'd get the, he, he had this ability and he, I mean, he'd been practicing since he was 13 or 14 years old to like whip the crowd into a frenzy, right? You could, it's that 10,000 hours. If you do it enough, you get good at it. You, know, you how to just, pop the crowd. You learn it. Yeah. You know, how to, you know how to get them going. So he would often get them so wild that he would tell them in quotes, Dr. Jesus doesn't use any chemicals. And people would start throwing oh, on no. stage their prescription medicines, their canes, any of their I- I medical devices that they had on oh, them. They would just start launching them. <laughs> yes. Right. Keep so, your <laughs> You need it. <laughs> so after one of these, after one of these revivals, James Randi sent a team in to collect the pills to see what people were tossing on stage. And he said it was nitroglycerin tablets, insulin and digitalis compounds which were substances which which these people might well die without these substances people might die so this guy was possibly uh, allegedly <coughs> responsible for killing maybe some possibly people. possibly possibly one thing that randy notices too is that there weren't any painkillers <laughs> or drugs that could easily be abused left on stage and he sort of thought that maybe Popoff's people went in there and grabbed those for themselves and left uh, insulin and nitroglycerin on the stage. God, that shit's expensive, dude. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Insane. And so they were either using the pills or maybe sell, reselling them or something. But it was it's very telling that none of the the the, the street market stuff was left on stage. You're not going to find any Xanax up there, that's for sure. Yep. Um the other thing is that, that attendees at these revivals weren't shy about opening their wallets. Uh, the employees of, of Peter Popoff would walk around the crowd with trash cans lined with clear trash bags, and they would just go through everybody in the crowd. And people would just throw in cash. Um, That's insane. There's no exact figures because it was cash as to how much they collected, but a former employee estimated that these events would pull anywhere from Ten thousand to fifty thousand dollars per event. Wow! This money apparently never went back to the ministry. It went straight to the pop-offs personally as well. Like it didn't go back into the church coffers. It went to their personal coffers. And okay, all- so this is a straight profit. Then. Oh, this is straight profit, and only the pop-offs would carry the money. So it would be Liz or Peter. They would take the money and they would get in their car and they would go. <laughs> get the fuck out of here! <laughs> yeah, this is blatant. It's it's really really blatant. And how they just decided this is our money. We're taking it. We're getting out of here. So how long does it take until James Randi and the other guy gets involved? So that's a good place to stop, I think. Because as much as the the Crusades were the place where he really was himself, it's also what led to his downfall. Right. Okay. And so I think we should stop there. And next time we'll kind of get a little bit further into James Randi and his operation and sort of the war that happened between James Randi and Peter Popoff. And then we'll go from there because there's quite a lot more story to come. 
All right. Well, I'm very excited. I can't wait until part two. So what do you think? What do you think so far? I know we've been talking between, but I'm curious to get your, your closing thoughts on part one. Okay. Spoiler alert, audience. I've seen the James Randi documentary. That's all I've seen. Everything except outside of James Randi was completely new information for me. And I am intrigued. I want to see if this guy ever goes down, like on criminal charges, maybe. I'm excited to see what he's up to in his later life and present day. And I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. Well, we will we will answer all of that. And he's yeah, it, it's 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 gonna be a fun ride. I I I really enjoy the story, even though it makes me sad for all the people that he's swindled out of a lot of money. I mean, in the eighties, one to 2 million a month. That's a lot of money. Yeah. We have a Twitter. You can follow us at you catch my grift. You can follow me at catch Dalton and you can follow Austin at Austin. Agogo. We have friends check out pod Van Dam. That's the reason me and Austin met very appreciative of those guys. Check out IWTV Guide, check out Wrestling Cheers, and check out Super Fantastic with Stacey Silvers. Um, I would like to close the podcast with giving out a personal recommendation. One of my favorite bands just dropped an album, 68, dropped the album, Give One, Take One. Uh, check them out if you a chance. Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get music from. Anything you'd like to recommend, Austin? Uh, I guess the only thing I would recommend that I, I've seen recently that I really enjoyed, and it's very different from the album you recommended, would be the Tina Turner documentary on HBO. Nice. Max. It's fantastic. I'm a huge fan. I may reference her on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I, think, I think you blew out your mic because you went really quiet. <laughs> but it's it's a very good it's a very good documentary, and she bills it as her farewell to all of her American fans since she has been oh. retired for a long time and she's had a bunch of health issues, but it's, it's very well made and it's nice to see her uh, actually tell her own story. All right. Well, I will have to check that out until next time. I am Dalton and I'm Austin and we will catch you next time on if you catch my grip. Oh,